This episode is brought to you by Realtree. Welcome to Save It for the Blind podcast. We are with Mike Kellogg and Colonel Mike Peters, who are Veteran Hunt Program coordinators. They are volunteers for CWA. They're veterans themselves that are running our Veteran Hunt Program. So welcome on, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Thanks brother. Good thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. I'd love to kind of get a small little intro about you guys and learn a little bit about, you know, where you come from, um, you know, your veteran history, kind of how that started, what that past has been, and how you got connected with the Veteran Hunt Program here. So, um, Mike Kellogg, if you want to go ahead and start us off. Of course. Yes, I grew up uh, waterfowl hunting in the Pacific Flyway. I shot my first duck around age 10, 11 with Dan Sozi, a former member of the board of directors out at Sanborn Slough. And uh, from then on, just continued to pursue waterfowl and knew it was my absolute passion for years and years and went into the Marine Corps 2008, uh, a couple deployments to Afghanistan and got out in October of 2015. Went straight to work afterwards. Um, just stayed busy, essentially, right? Uh, continued to pursue my passion. I heard about CWA's Veteran Hunt Program and I filled out an application and I got a phone call from a Hawaii number that I didn't answer because I was like, I have no idea who that is, right? Prank call. I thought yeah. the same thing. And uh, it was Colonel Mike Peters left me a voicemail. I was on my way home from work, called him back, and he said, dude, you're like 10 minutes too late. I just filled a hunt at somewhere down in the grasslands. And uh, so he ended up getting me Holl- on a hunt. Hollister, I think. Hollister, I think it was yeah. the Hollister. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, ended up getting me on a hunt at Staten Island and met him, shook hands, Went out with Greg Dammitz, that is still a veteran hunt program volunteer guide. And uh, I just kept bugging the colonel, like, hey, sir, um, I've been doing this for a long time in the Valley. Uh, I absolutely love to do it. I like being around vets. It's my passion, yada, yada. So um, finally he said, okay, why don't you come on and help us out volunteer guide and so on and so forth. And from then on, the rest was kind of history. Met Jeff, um, a bunch of the CWA staff, and... Uh, Mike ended up, the colonel ended up moving out of state, and so I kind of took the reins, and um, it's been great. That's Around the same time, though, you you took over our America's Freedom Fighter dinner that's right. in yeah. Lincoln as the committee chair. I did. So tell us a little bit about that and where the money goes. Yeah, so um, the couple that chaired the Freedom Fighter banquet before me, um, they PCS'd to Idaho, and I was involved enough with the Veteran Hunt Program uh, Mike Peters came to me and said, Hey, you want to jump on this grenade? And I said, absolutely. Let's do it for sure. And, <laughs> uh, took the reins on that. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but just like with the veteran hunt program, we had an outstanding committee, um, 95% veterans that have been around the veteran hunt program, um, love to be around veterans and they absolutely killed it. It wasn't me. I was just kind of pointing fingers and then with the colonel as my mentor, help from CWA staff and the reps and so on and so forth. Um, it was the highest grossing Freedom Fighter banquet to date, and that was in, I believe, 2020 or 21. Um, so this will be our third year going on to the Freedom Fighter banquet. And all of that revenue that's generated through the Freedom Fighter banquet in Lincoln goes directly back to fund the veteran hunt program. So when we take guys out on hunts, yeah. um, dinners, and lunch, uh, handouts, giveaways, all good stuff. Yeah, that's phenomenal, and we appreciate everything that you've done, and you're a great addition to the team. So. Uh, absolutely, man. It's an honor and a privilege to be part of it all. Yeah. For sure. You and me have some history, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we do. 
We do. Um, gosh, how many years now? Six, seven, I guess, eight maybe. Um, you know, the, the veteran hunt program was a little bit in its infancy. Um, Jeff had done a couple of hunts with the, the guys out of Camp Pendleton. And he had one or a couple of clubs, right, Jeff? A couple of clubs yeah. in the grassland. And I think maybe Sabaya um, were, were all part of what was going on. And I had I, I was um, stationed at a place called Fort Hunter Liggett. And I had applied for the veteran hunt program. And I wanted to do uh, maybe some sort of volunteer work. And so, uh, you know, I reached out uh, to Jeff a couple of times over six or eight months and um, he wasn't really willing to get back to me or talk to me, and That's he not wasn't. True. He wasn't too sure about me. I was getting this Hawaii number, and hey, right. hon, I'm, I make duck calls. I'm a colonel, yeah. and I'm like, why is a why is a yeah. colonel wanting to get involved with me? Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, uh, um, you know, he, he called me like on a Tuesday and said, "Hey, somebody canceled. Can you go on this hunt?" <laughs> and it was on a Wednesday, and that that was in at the grasslands. It's the same. Hunt. That Think was, of the uh, Hollister, Augustine. With the Hollister, yeah, yeah. with with um, uh, Bart Bates's guys, right? Yeah. And uh, went down there, had a fantastic hunt, a lot of fun. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I just called him back a couple more times. So finally, um, he said, "Hey, you, you know, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet. Why don't you, uh, you know, select a couple of people and fill these hunts?" Which which I did. And then uh, one thing led to another. A couple of months later. Uh, he said, you know, why don't you, uh, do you want to run a program? And I, I said, where do you want it to go? And he said, the sky's the limit. And I said, are you sure? He said, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and so I think, uh, you know, through Mike and a lot of his efforts and the foundation that Jeff lays, um, we, we built the program from, uh, you know, a couple of hunts and 20, 30 veterans to the last couple of years. We've been at uh, five or 600 veterans out on hunts, yeah. uh, 80, 90, 100 different hunts. We have landowners across um, the Sacramento Valley that are, are giving us access. And a big part of that is, is uh, you know, Mike Kellogg and, and his efforts and really his relationships and um, Jeff's relationships with people that once they see what, you know, what how we're doing things are giving us an opportunity because um, – uh, they want to do things with the veterans. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was yeah. a cook for 30 years and I don't, I don't really, I don't really <laughs> yeah. much in the army. <laughs> uh, the yeah. most modest colonel yeah. probably in the history. Um, but no, to your point, I mean, without the volunteer guides and all the donors offering the, the properties, you know, and without you guys, obviously the, the program doesn't, isn't possible. So so kudos to you, but but on all serious, Mike. Uh, I think everyone that meets you and they say and you tell them, you know, you retired as a colonel. They're like, what? Yeah, you're a colonel because <laughs> you're super laid back. Um, could talk to anybody, you yeah. know, anywhere. And I think a lot of people that probably wouldn't have that relationship with a colonel I could really open up and connect to you, which I think is just a ginormous skill set. You know, for you, just you're very approachable for your highly decorated career. Yeah, I agree with that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Jeff and I had a chance to talk about this quite a bit in, you know, organizational leadership, right? And 
you really have to build an organization underneath you if you want it to, to spread out. If I just did every single thing, the veteran hunt program would be 10 hunts and, you know, 100 veterans. Yeah. And so we started to build a program with people like Mike Kellogg, right? And it, it really reaching out and, and kind of finding people, veterans that, and, and people that are non-veterans that, that want to do what we want to do, volunteer, be part of it, aren't self-serving, aren't really looking for the individual give back, if you will, uh, but are, are yeah. really looking to, to, to give and support. Um, and, you know, I was, what, six, seven years into it when I met Mike Kellogg. Within a year, I said to Jeff, he's taking over the program. Jeff said, uh, you're not going anywhere. I said, <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere, but um, Mike has a lot of energy. He has a skill set. He has the same sort of ability to relate to people. He has excellent relationships, you know, in and around uh, the whole Sacramento Valley. Yeah. And he has a strong desire to do it. So in army, we say, Hey, you got to have a change of command, right? If you don't get out of the way, somebody else can't lead. And I always felt Mike did a significant amount of the work and I wanted to see him get the credit for it. And the only way I thought he could get the credit from the organization would be to have the lead uh, as the veteran hunt coordinator. So I, I was very happy to work side by side with him um, and continue doing what we do and doing great things, uh, but really give him a chance to, to be in charge. And he's doing a fantastic job with the program. He really is. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I think what's really special in the veteran hunt program, I mean, we have a huge network of veterans that apply for all the hunts that we have. And, and to me, we have some key volunteer guides. Um, I mean, everyone kind of spreads the good word and gets it out to the veteran community. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like Mike Collins, for example, just yep. going to the VA, talking to people, um, Chad Donnelly. And these are people bringing people in to CWA, supporting CWA, but they are veterans and you're getting them out there, you know, on these hunts. But um, what's kind of the process of, you know, if someone's a brand new hunter, they want to go on a hunt as a veteran, um, how do they go about that? And if that person has no hunting experience, where do they go? How do you guys select people for the hunts and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. So, we get hunters of all calibers, guys that it's their first waterfowl hunt ever. We've got guys that have hunted for 60, 70 years, like a Mike Collins, right? Um, he's more on the guiding side, but um, guys will go into the CWA website, California Waterfowl Association, and select under the Veteran Hunt Program tab, and you've got to create an account. Once you've created your account, you can log in, and the Veteran Hunt Program hunts are 100% free to any veteran to apply, or active duty, yeah. or So what, what is a veteran? What do, what do we, you guys classify as a veteran? A veteran, to me, sir, you could probably expand on this as well. Yeah, I, l let me grab that one. Yeah. Uh, that's It's really simple. Um, they can be active duty, retired. Uh, they could have done a short tour, a long tour. Um, they could have served. Any, anybody that has served in uniform and, and is still serving, has retired uh, from active duty or retired from the reserves or simply did an initial tour. They, if they have veteran status, they're a veteran. So you get your first uh, year tour guy out of uh, out of the Air Force Base, that Travis Air Force Base, who's a 21-year-old airman. He's a veteran. Um, you get a guy that went to Vietnam as an 18-year-old kid in 1967. 
He's a veteran. Uh, you take Mike Kellogg. Mike, what did you do? Six, eight years in the Marines? Yes, sir. And he's a veteran. I did 30 years. I'm a veteran. Yeah. If you served at any capacity um, and uh, have status as a serving at some point in time, you're considered a veteran. So basically anyone that hasn't been dishonorably discharged. Yep. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And to expand on that, we get guys that we select through our selection process. I've got to get back to answering your question, but I hear it all too often that you'll select a guy, get him on the hook and say, Hey man, this is what's going on. You're kind of giving the details. You send him an email or text, whatnot. And he says, you know what? I didn't do anything. Um, send somebody that's more deserving than me. Yeah. And that's not at all what we're about. We appreciate that attitude and people being forthcoming like that, but it's for every veteran out there, an yeah. active duty service member, for sure. You don't really know when, you know, as a veteran, when your time is is up, right? I mean, some veterans were lucky where there wasn't a big conflict going on. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, time of war. And, I mean, you can look at it uh, one of two ways. If you were lucky enough to go overseas or you were lucky enough to stay home. It's whether you're in that lineup or not. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Jeff, if you remember early on, uh, we, we kind of shaped that discussion within CWA, right? Yeah. Um, because th- there is a thought process out there that uh, some guys are more deserving because they served in combat or they have a Purple Heart recipient or you know they lost a limb or whatever. Um, and those, those veterans uh, are certainly uh, have our respect and we want to do best we can to give them an opportunity but uh we also have like i i mentioned earlier the the young veteran uh that's stationed over at travis air force base that's in the air force a year or two um and they're and they want to learn about hunting so we we have shaped the discussion right to to get all veterans out and then do the best we can i mean we do we do like a special hunt we call it the Vietnam veteran memorial hunt and we take Vietnam veterans out. And so on some of those kinds of hunts, yes, we, we focus in on a particular set of veterans, but overall I think we've, we've grown the program big enough that we can service veterans from all walks. Yeah. Cause I think most folks that, you know, want to get involved or, or donating a hunt, you know, they want to take out the people that have gotten a purple heart or what they would call, you know, wounded veterans. Well, just because you're wounded doesn't mean that you're missing limbs or right. anything like that. So I think some people think of, you know, people in wheelchairs, non-abled-bodied veterans that would be coming out, which we've had, yeah. you know, obviously. But um, that's kind of what they go to. But, yeah, to your point, Mike, you know, it's an opportunity for all veterans um, to come out and, and hunt, you know, with a good quality hunt with – people of their peers. And that was the goal of the program was to basically have veterans helping veterans and within your guys' contacts, mine, all the relationships. I mean, you know, we're there and and growing in terms of the people helping the program. I mean, a lot of our guides are people that we've met through hunts, you know, and they're very quality people and they want to help. They're running some hunts for us on our behalf you know, they're not there to go get a hunt per se. Right. They're, they're about giving back, and that's their way to give back to California waterfowl and to their own, you know, veteran community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. you know, 
one of the, I'll, I'll just say one of the things, I guess, that becomes a strength, uh, particularly for me, when I'm talking with an organization or a landowner that wants to do a veteran hunt, and they think, they believe that they want to do a Purple Heart recipient or, you know, wounded folks, um, I at least have a background where I can say, that, that's great, we appreciate your look at that, but let me help you understand all of the veterans, because after we send those four guys out out of the 800 that apply now now what would you like us to do because um we've already sent those purple heart recipients on yeah you know on hunts and we're trying to get the participation rate up across the board if everybody on a hunt before we send somebody else mm-hmm. um and so i can speak to that because i'm an infantry guy i've been in 30 years i you know got 60 months in combat it's I have the background to be able to say, let me help you. Uh, We can have a discussion. And most landowners and club owners, they're very receptive to that, especially when, uh, you know, I give them a little bit of my background. That helps. That's a lot, I think. I think that's important. I mean, um, even those individuals that, you know, may be missing limbs, they're very unselfish. They don't want to take a spot from somebody else. Like, Hey, there's, there's guys way worse than I am, you know? So it's just goes back to those guys that you do have the purple hearts, you know, are very highly decorated. They're, they're not me guys. You know, they, they would rather someone else go in front of them, you know, and and take their spot. They don't, they don't want really the limelight kind of what I've, you know, talking to folks, the guys that have been there, done that, they are the top of the top. They have all the awards. They don't talk about themselves. Yep. You you got to learn about their background from somebody that knows them, and then they tell you, and you're like, oh, wow. You know, and that's kind of <laughs> – it's chilling, but, I mean, there's some badasses out there, and you're like, it's impressive of what these guys have done um, in just their careers, yeah. you know, and as individuals. Um, but they would never, ever – whisper any of that you have to find it out from somebody else yeah that's exactly it and not all wounds are physical right and you can't see them um there's a lot of internal mental psychological wounds when guys come back from being overseas or wherever they may have been right and you can't tell that by looking at a person um and our veteran hunt program um hopefully i'm not skipping around here too much but what i get from the most from guys is what this veteran hunt program gives military service members, active duty, reserve, or veterans is that camaraderie back. Yeah. You're waking up early. Um, even it starts the day before. Like right now we've got four days until duck season, right? It, everybody's thinking about it. We've been thinking about it for the longest time. So uh, come Thursday and Friday, you go through your PCCs, your PCIs, pre-convoy checks, pre-convoy inspections, right? But you're checking all your gear now. You're checking your shells. You're cleaning your gun. It's the buildup. And then you're waking up early or maybe you're staying the night somewhere and you guys are together as a group, and the sun's not up. It's a little bit chill in the air, right? And you guys get out there, and you're in the blind. Some days are bluebird days, and it's super enjoyable. Other days, it's, like, terrible to be out there, which is sometimes yeah. a duck hunter's favorite weather to be in, right? Mm-hmm. But you're in the crap together, and you love it. And that's that bond that keeps you tight and close, and that I think all of us miss so much. Do you feel like that is the biggest, like, importance of the program for you and for other veterans is that kind of camaraderie that you kind of have found with the veteran hunt program and while you were, you know, in the military. That is definitely 
you know, up in the, the top three, absolutely. Um, getting the guys together and pulling everybody out of that element of the hustle and bustle of normalcy life, right, of the civilian side of life. And you get back with each other. And there's all different branches, right? You've got the Air Force, Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy. We haven't seen Space Force guys yet, but I'm sure that they're coming around. Um, and you guys are all together and uh, bonding, and you talk about what these guys are doing active duty. We were sitting in Denverton last year, and a dude was wearing topsider shoes, and I looked at him, and I said, you got to be an officer, right? And he goes, yeah. And then I looked at his buddy. He looked like he was freaking 18 years old. And I said, well, what do you do in the Air Force? And he said, I fly F-18s. And I was like, Wow. Would not have pegged that at all, right? But the coolest guys, some of the best stories, um, everybody's smiling, um, you know, for the time being, and that's huge for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know what's, what's funny is it doesn't always start out like that. We'll, no. We'll, it, no, I mean, we get it. They, you know, we'll, well, let's say we're going to do a hunt at Sanborn or Butte Creek, right? And 10 or 12 guys show up, and they're all kind of quiet. And, yeah. and Mike, Mike and I and Jeff, we kind of know this. This is the transition to be part of our tribe right that's all we like to think of it and uh you know they're they they hardly know each other's name because they they're all we're all from different walks of life and you know you're you get three four hours into the night and somebody discovers that they went to basic training with somebody or they were in yeah. i company and and i served at the same time in this unit and by the end of what we really enjoy is by the end of the weekend they are making colonel jokes uh, because somebody <laughs> yeah. has spilled the beans that I'm the colonel. Uh, and and I won't use some of the language that gets used to identify me, but once they find it out, uh, and there's usually a couple of beers involved. But uh, And then they they become friends, yeah. and they, they, play, they plan future hunts. And so, so many times we hear them say to us, this is what I was missing. I, I have been looking for this this tribe, this esprit de corps, this camaraderie. Uh, I missed it. I missed it from being in the military. And I don't get it at home, and I don't really get it from my friends. They don't understand. But when you get in with a group of guys or, or gals that have served and have the same bond kind of stuff, um, it's a natural transition to uh, them wanting to guide, wanting to be part of what we're doing. Or making friends, and we hear it all the time. Oh, I went, I went out hunting with so and so. We got together. We, we, you know, he got a reservation. Called me up. We went to uh, Sacramento National Wildlife Refuge together. And each one of those individuals truly helps us build our program tenfold. They really do because um, they go out and tell three, four of their buddies, or go back to the base and tell four or five of their buddies. And we are inundated with applicants, which is really what we're trying to do. Yeah, there's lifelong relationships that have been established through this veteran hunt program that I personally know of um, within my last four or five years being part of this. Um, guys network, they bring each other into it, and that's how the word spreads. You know, yeah. social media, CWA does an outstanding job spreading the word through that. And then a lot of it's word of mouth. And it's, I'm still impressed at the amount of people that don't know about it. Mm -hmm. So. Um, if you guys are listening to this, get the word out, have guys apply for the veteran hunts. Uh, the only prerequisite this year is if you get selected or when you get selected, you've got to become a CWA member. And I think that's 30 bucks, 35 bucks. 35 bucks. Yeah. You don't got to be a member to apply, but basically, you know, once you're invited and you're going on the hunt, you'd register for the hunt and be a CWA member. And, uh, 
that basically helps us out insurance wise and things like that. So, and we provide everything. I mean, we're sponsored by federal, so we get free shells, uh, sponsored by Yeti, you know, so we get cups and stuff. Uh, Realtree is now a sponsor of the veteran hunt program. So these are, these are all, all corporate partners that are giving back to the veteran hunt program. So like when someone does go on a hunt, you know, we try to give them the, the works, right? Yeah. Food, lodging, you know, the camaraderie, um, and then kind of a, a goodie bag with the challenge coin, CW hat, et cetera. So, um, that's kind of always been a staple of the program and that just seems like it's continuing to, to grow. But is, is there any hunts or individuals that stick out? I've got a couple in my mind that, you know, for certain reasons, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are, who, who, not, you don't, you're not going to name any names, but potential, you know, events, um, or, you know, people that you've met, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with this one, sir. So this was just on a whim guy. Um, it's later in the season. It was an application. It actually maybe been November or something like that because Moon Lake had slowed down just a little bit. And we knew of some geese in the area. The property owner said, hey, this is what you need to do. Go set up. You don't need many decoys. I select this guy a couple weeks out. I know he's coming from Southern California. He's active duty, right? And I told him, hey, this is the only hunt that we kind of have right now. You can wait a week or two, and we can get you on one of the CWA properties. He's like, no way, man. I'm just excited that I got yeah. selected, right? And so he comes up. In the meantime, we'll, let me backtrack. He asked me if he could bring his brother, and I was like, "Absolutely!" Oh, thanks, man. thanks uh, for stealing my story. Oh, you thought about the same <laughs> one. For so, my story. Yeah, so yeah. well, good. You know, I won't get off track with it. You can guide yeah, me through it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, these guys show up. They're identical twins, right? Yeah. And it's me and the colonel that meet up with him. He was in town. Maybe he hadn't moved yet. I'm not sure. But we grab like 18 full body decoys. Go set up on the side of four mile not even four mile Providence east canal road right like there's cars kind of going by us and stuff side by sides and uh the grind gets up boom one guy smokes the snow okay and then about a half hour never later, shot a snow in his life he's ecstatic right he's from i'm getting there i'm getting there i'm getting there so don't bomb the story one snow down this guy's like you gotta take let me take a picture i want to take a picture of my brother yeah you got it right so we get pictures get back down we're sitting in the mud uh, it's like after, right, just nasty. And yeah. another group of geese came over, snows, and uh, the brother shoots one, right? Smokes the snow. And we kind of give it, I don't know, another hour, hour and a half. We're like, dude, let's go to uh, the airport, I think, Nancy's Airport yeah, Cafe. We're, we're laying in like six inches of mud. It's nasty, yeah. It just one <laughs> Are of those you days. using your snow call, Mike? <laughs> I was not, <laughs> no. God, but no, I did have no. my banded waders on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So we're taking pictures back at the trucks and whatnot, and come to find out, one of the brothers had flown in from, like, North Dakota or somewhere you way up had north. had no clue? I had no idea, right? And I'm like, man, why didn't you tell me this? In November? Yeah, well, right? Like, come on, man. Um, we could have done something with this, or we could have yeah. thrown a big spread for you or whatever, and they're like, you don't understand. This is, like, the best day ever. I've never seen the Pacific Flyway up north, and uh, snow geese, like, they've never shot one each, yeah. right? So um, we go to breakfast. Colonel buys breakfast and whatnot. So, but that one, and then actually Mike did a story about it after that, put it up on the CWA website. And uh, yeah. that really just hit home to me, just those little small things, right? One goose and or two geese for two twins, and that was like the best hunt that they'd had in the longest time. And you're thinking of it, you know, it's not the greatest hunt, but no, it's no. all per- right. perception, right? It is, yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. And but, there's lots of people like shoot one spoonie and it's the happiest person in the world. It's the best day ever, right? Yeah, and then yeah. someone else shoots a limit and they're like, not enough mallard. Yeah, I know. I'm full of widget, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but 
there's another piece to this story. Yeah, right? yeah, let's hear another it. piece of this story. So we're laying in the mud, and um, I, I say to one of the brothers, "So you know, where, where do you where are you stationed?" One was down in uh, Southern California, and the other one came out of Kentucky and okay. uh, Joint Special Operations Command. He was in the Joint uh, the Special Forces Aviation Regiment, right? The one sixtieth SAR. Special Aviation Regiment. So he, he flew with all the special guys, and he was a door gunner. And I said to him, uh, "Do you have you ever heard of this guy, um, uh, Nick? Uh, I don't remember what his last name is now. N- Nick was uh, a young guy from, he said, he was my best friend. I go, really? He lived three houses away from me in Little Chute, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. And when they did the, when the Special Aviation, Special Forces Aviation Regiment was at the Oshkosh uh, EAA show, big giant air show they have in Wisconsin every year, they took all of their birds and they flew over the top of his mother and father's house and did a flyby in honor. So basically, you know, blew my father's roof off <laughs> because yeah. he's three houses away from me, right? And this was a kid, you know, he was probably 20 years behind me in high school, uh, but from the same tiny little farming town in Wisconsin. And his buddy is laying in a field next to me in Sacramento doing a veteran hunt. It was unbelievable. Small so I, world. I got home, I got home and I called his mother uh, because my sister had, had her number and I told her the story. And it, yeah, it was unbelievable that, you know, Six degrees of separation, right? And there yeah. I was laying in a in a field with this young kid. Yeah, I mean, Nick Nick Hoffman, I think his name was. Yeah. Little little shoots. Well, it's growing now, but it's pretty pretty small town. Eight thousand, yeah, yeah, about eight thousand people. Yeah. It's now it's up to nine. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that was a neat. That was a, a really neat uh, story. Hey, but as Mike does once in a while, he doesn't really answer the question. So let me go back and just recap real go. quick. The question that you asked, how, how is somebody selected for the program? Because I, I tell you, it's pretty important to us, right? Yes, we, sir. We, we work very hard, and Mike does especially, tracking the veterans that are selected for the hunts so that we try to get everybody out on a hunt first. So there's no um, favoritism, no pre-selection process uh, going on. We do, we do at times get a hunt at the last minute, and we have what we call the last-minute hunt club. Um, that we we'll put on a hunt, but generally, I think and Mike, you've done a really great job with this. You know, you go through three, four hundred, five hundred veterans a year, and every one of them generally gets out on one, sometimes two hunts a year. That's a great track record for our program because um, we really try to spread the wealth and give everybody an opportunity to get out on a hunt. And we've designed our program so that. It isn't self-serving. It really is truly not. And I think that has shown up in folks wanting to give us opportunities to either hunt on their property or donate hunts because they're they're hearing from folks in and around our program that we're doing a good job making sure that, you know, we, we really do service the veteran community to the best of our ability. I think that's a it's a very important point for us. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> to that point, we do have landowners that 
that donate property for the year, blinds, fields. We run hunts on our own properties, and then we partner with duck clubs um, throughout the state. Basically, the duck clubs is, you know, I'll give you a date with, you know, so many veterans per date, and that's what we coordinate. But, you know, if, if a, someone wanted to donate a hunt, how would they go about getting in touch with you guys and the steps? What do we provide a landowner in terms of liability and things like that? Sure. So any property owner um, or duck club owner that wants to get involved with donating hunts to the Veteran Hunt Program, um, first I'd remind you that there's a Veteran Hunt Weekend, which is right after the Junior Weekend in 2024, which is, should be the second weekend of February, Saturday and Sunday. Um, you can get in touch with CWA through their website. Uh, you can get my email. It's mkellogg, M-K-E-L-L-O-G-G, at calwaterfowl.org. Shoot me an email. We can provide you with insurance. Uh, we'll send you guys handouts from CWA headquarters. Um, we can provide you with volunteer guides if you guys need them or if you have your own people that you'd like to help support a veteran hunt. We would love more than anything to give these guys more opportunities to get out into the field because the program has grown exponentially. And my personal goal, Jeff's and Mike's, is to give at least every veteran one opportunity per season to get out. I would love to give them multiple opportunities. So the more potential that we have to get these guys out, the better. And, and we appreciate it. And we're reaching roughly 600 people a year now, you yep. know, um, the goal is to get to that thousand mark, right? Eventually, you yes. know, uh, slow, not slowly, but surely, but, <laughs> but it's easier to we're gonna do. A, we're going to need a secretary pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's easier to do when you have properties that you can control like a duck blind or goose fields where, you know, you have the access where it's not, you know, 30 other, you know, one day hunts with one hunter. That's only 30 folks. Right. Yep. So it's a lot easier for us to, get to where we need to be by having these partnerships with private landowners to open up their doors um, and really help out the veterans get out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we, that, that's a great point. And the way we build on that and we have, um, we had, a, we have a landowner a couple of years ago had called and said, you know, I want to be part of the veteran home program. So mm-hmm. I said to Jeff, Hey, let's go meet with them. Yeah. We drove out to his property. We started with one rice blind, and not uh well he was a little t- he was a little timid at first he was like who are yeah. you guys <laughs> you know so you know i would say with you know your relationship building and, and kind of what cwa is it it was uh who are these guys first it wasn't uh right. you know right. here's the, it wasn't easy yeah. no it wasn't a free-for-all by no means but that's been yeah. a great relationship and their whole that's entire great. family is phenomenal yeah um yeah, cool. now we have access to about 1,200 acres with him. But, you know, it was funny when I first met him, uh, once he got to know us a little bit and then know me, he said, I really wasn't sure because he was he's a veteran, right? Yeah. He was yeah. a Vietnam era veteran. And he said, I never talked to a colonel before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you guys talk all the time now. Right, yeah. we do. Yeah. And I call him the general. I say, sir, come on. <laughs> yeah. You're the commander. We know you're the general. Uh, and, and And like you said now, his entire family yeah. uh, is part of our hunt program and very, very supportive, very supportive. Yeah. Last year, that property that you're talking about accounted for probably 25 to 30% of the veterans that we took out in all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's huge. Yeah. And then, you know, with 
with Mike at the helm, that has also opened up through him and other folks uh, figuring out what we're doing. Many properties, Mike. I mean, you talk about some of your, you know, talk about what you've done with the goose hunting program. You, you're doing a great job building a program. Yeah. Um, myself, CWA, with their help and support, along with our other volunteer uh, guides and people that support the veteran hunt program, have uh, come up with about a total of two different trailers, about 1,700 strong decoy spread, full bodies. And uh, we've made relationships with, like, Louis Lira out of Rio Vista, who gives us access to some of the Delta Islands, uh, Pitto out of Dixon. Um, we've got another family up north that we've got huge access with them that we were just talking about. We've got access all over the place. So the Goose Gig has only been running strong since last year. We had a little bit of an issue with access because there wasn't much crop on the ground and our water issue. So we're looking forward to this year and getting a bunch more hunts on, and we can – stack a little bit more numbers on those goose hunts as yeah. opposed to just, you know, one duck blind. And our goal was, I mean, there's not a lot of people that have an opportunity to go chase geese and to do a fairly big spread. And to me, as a public land hunter, you could set up on a refuge with a big goose spread. Typically someone will, will crowd you. But yep. that's an experience not every duck hunter has experienced, um, especially a newer one, to go set out in a field you know, hopefully be able to drive the trucks out there. It's not always the case, but actually go on a true goose hunt where you're targeting, you know, in our area, yeah. specks and snows. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun. Uh, when they do it right, they do it right. And they can be some of the smartest birds, but some of the dumbest birds in the same day and different days. So. Labor of love. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work with the crew to get it all going and get it set up right. I mean, it's a full production. It is. It absolutely is. A lot of planning, planning people back and forth, guys scouting, You've done that for us because you're up yeah. here often. Um, and, again, I mean, our support system through this veteran hunt program and all of our volunteer guides, you guys are absolutely outstanding. That's the reason that this whole thing works for sure. What do you think the biggest buy-in moment for most veterans to join you guys for the first time? Like how do you – or what do you think the biggest draw-in is for someone who hasn't done it before and is going to do it for the first time or – is it just seeing it? Is it like storytelling? Is it, you know, from someone else saying, hey, this is what I did? Or what do you think that biggest drawing is for them? So there, I think there's a, a, a bunch of different things that go into that. Um, number one, it, with California Waterfowl Association and the access to the properties that they own and manage is huge, right? I mean, there's opportunities out there for not just CWA as a whole, general hunt program, but also the veteran hunt program with access to these properties that people like us would never see. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, there's guys, actually, I know one guy in particular that uh, came back from a tour in Iraq, was there for initial invasion, never wanted to touch a rifle or shotgun or be around guns at all. Um, a good friend of his was selected for a hunt a couple years ago on the RMEF hunt and just so happens to be neighbors with this guy. And uh, he had said to his neighbor, hey, I want you to come out here and sit in a duck blind with me. So they went out to Calusa. First time that he'd held a gun since, he was shaking a little bit, but took it all in and was out in that atmosphere and absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy, I mean, he's all over it now. Um, he's got his own podcast that he's talked about, Waterfowl Hunting. And th that is, stories like that is what fuels me to continue to do what we all do and these relationships to build on that. Yeah. Do you feel a little bit that that, like, 
I mean, I'm not a veteran and can't speak to this as far as, you know, things go, but do you feel like that in itself allows you to become a little more free? Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. Cause you get out of that mindset. Um, I think a lot of us, the biggest issue, uh, not even just veterans is we get caught up in our heads. Right. right. And once you get out of your typical everyday element and the hustle and bustle and you're in the marsh or you're in the field and you're with your buddies or people that you don't even know. And then all of a sudden you guys are friends and you're networking and you're talking and you're out in nature again. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely freeing for sure. Mike, what do you think? Other Mike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's your spaghetti, it's your spaghetti, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that's what keeps everyone around. Uh, uh, I, I think one of the uh, most important aspects of our program is word of mouth. I, I really believe that many, many opportunities come to us and folks find out about it through what, you know, what we have, or they're told, go look at the website. And we do things like these podcasts, you know, get the word out. Uh, we write stories, we publish things in CWA. Uh, but like Mike had mentioned, we do get a lot of veterans coming on our hunts that have been told by their buddies, hey, go check this out. This thing is really kind of a cool thing. And, you know, one of the things we, we try pretty hard to do is with the military background, it really isn't much different, I don't think, than in the civilian world. When you walk into a new room and you don't know anybody and everybody can be a little bit uncomfortable, we try to set the comfort level high. Come on in. Enjoy yourself. What's your name? How you doing? I'm Mike. This is Mike. We're going to have a great time. Don't worry about it. Well, I haven't shot a gun in a little while. No worries. We'll take care of that. You know, I don't know how to call a duck. That's okay. We're sending a guide out with you. He'll help identify him. He's going to call for you. You know, and we break down those barriers very quickly so that they can enjoy the event. And they carry that back with them and they spread it. I, I think the biggest part of our program comes because other people tell other people what a great time they had. Yeah. And so as we can continue to uh, give this quality opportunity to them, I mean, like Jeff had mentioned, going out, spreading out 1,500 decoys in a goose field that you don't have any access to, never had an opportunity to, couldn't spend the $20,000 to buy the decoys, the trailers, the four-wheeler, and go on a hunt like that and have geese landed in your face and you never thought that would happen without having to pay for it because your veteran status opened the door, that, that's a pretty pretty cool event. And, you know, we can't do it for everybody because we don't have uh, enough opportunities, but the ones we do it for go back and tell their friends. And so uh, they enjoy a day in a duck blind and get, get just as much excitement half the time. So uh, word of mouth for me is I think we're really a big part of our program. And the way I mentioned earlier, we structure it and try to follow uh, and maintain a high level of, 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 camaraderie in our program, you know, speaks volumes to why it continues to grow. I think feels like it. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And then just having quality folks involved, like you guys, obviously, but our guide volunteers too. I mean, they're, they're just quality individuals, you know, not, not me guys. Yeah. Um, but Mike, you're interesting. Cause you, you shot your first duck at Sanborn as a little kid. And then now to be involved with CWA and that now that we own Sanborn Slough, I mean, kind of full circle, you're able to take people on their first duck hunts, really. I mean, like, how does that feel, you know, now? 
it's awesome. And I, I tell that story often and think about it often every time I go up there, right? Um, and when the owner had sold that along with his other members, I because that was such a huge part, absolute favorite place to be as a younger guy, right? Um, I didn't think I'd ever see it again. And then we heard that CWA had taken ownership of it. And um, I got the email from the guy that had sold, said, hey, you need to put in for these hunts, right? And lo and behold, ended up getting involved in the veteran hunt program with you and uh, the colonel and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, it's back in our lives again. Yeah. Right? And we're able to show guys and then tell stories about this is the way that it used to look, and that was the only boat dock, and that's about where that blind was where I shot my first wood duck out there. I think it was six or two or something like that. But it's outstanding. I never thought that it would play out the way that it did. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. That's awesome. Yeah, man. What are some of the commonalities between the two that you've kind of found within the veteran hunt program that maybe, you know, other veterans have kind of seen? You know, I know... I know guns are involved, but is there other commonalities, you know, along with maybe camaraderie that you've kind of seen or experienced? Yeah, I think so. Um, we mentioned earlier, you know, getting up early, uh, like you're getting ready for uh, a patrol, a patrol or a convoy or something like that. Um, when you're getting ready for the season and you're a private club owner or leaser or something like that, you do all these things that build up that you have to get ready for, just like if you're going on a deployment, right? Yeah. Um, and the better that you train, the better that you build your blind, the better success you're going to potentially have in your season, right? Okay. And then um, being with your friends, not just veterans, but uh, people that you meet along the way throughout the waterfowl community, um, you guys share that one thing in common. And not everybody gets waterfowl hunters they're like you guys are nuts man like you wake up way too early and you go sit in the cold and in the rain and you love it and it's like yeah man it's freaking awesome you gotta check it out um and it's kind of like the military thing you know it's uh not to sound cliche or anything the best job i ever had i think that mike and i would say the same thing and hundreds of thousands of other veterans would say i would absolutely do it all over again if i could um best job we ever had right so there's a lot of commonalities there um and just to get back to the camaraderie thing, that's the biggest thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, you're sitting with each other. You know you got each other's backs. Uh, it's just it's an outstanding thing. What do you think, Mike? Do you agree? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he makes he makes some great points. Uh, you know, the shared camaraderie um, runs through, and the, the thread that ties it all together, of course, is being in the military. Right. But, the, the, the opportunity to have the access to the phenomenal properties that CWA uh, owns and allows us to execute this program, right, um, brings, brings this community, this veteran community together uh, because we wouldn't be able to do it without the genuine and tremendous support. You know, we get Jeff, Jeff Smith and the whole CW team are very, very, uh, supportive of all the things we do. Yes. And so, you know, that one, you know, that one theme of Mike mentioned a couple little different things, but in the end, they're just people. We're all just people. We just have this common thread. We are in the military together. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that bonds that that's the one glue that pulls it all together and holds us together is we can fall back on. Okay. We served because it, it, it's amazing. All the different things they have done and where they've gone and, there's generally some commonality around all the different folks that we're with. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess that's a big part of it. 
I'm kind of eager to know and, and learn. Um, how is the veteran hunt program another avenue of R3? And what is R3? I've not really ever known. And I'm very curious to hear what you guys have to say. Jeff? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> So, so R3 is for recruit, retain, and reactivate hunters and, and fishermen. So it's a, it's a nationwide effort uh, to get people into the outdoors. So, so recruiting people, you know, we're bringing people into hunting. Retaining them, you're providing tons of different programs through hunts. Um, and reactivating is those guys that might have been hunting as a kid you know, their dad might have passed away. They're coming back from being deployed. They don't. They need to get reconnected back into it, reactivated, and that's where our programs and the veteran hunt program goes back into that R three initiative. And and there's been a huge push over the last ten years uh, nationally. But it's it the R three movement has, has been around for a long time. Um, California waterfowl has been involved with. R3 programming for, you know, over 20 years. So, you know, that's something that we're extremely passionate about, but that's just what it's called. Um, there's R3 coordinators um, that work for the federal agency, uh, states, et cetera. Um, and that's trying to get people to, to get into hunting cause, and fishing because the numbers are going down or have plateaued where, you know, California, we used to have, you know, upwards of 700,000. And now we're in the two hundreds of thousands of you know hunting license sold per year. And there's lots of different um, reasons why that has plummeted, um, but you know it's kind of plateaued. So we need to stay at where we're at. We just can't keep losing. Or you know a lot of the things that we hold dear, you know, could potentially go by the wayside in, in the long run. So. Yeah. How do you think? we can encourage more veterans or just people to join this program. Well, people in general to continue hunting, but also veterans to join the program. I mean, outside of word of mouth, I mean, what, is there anything that we could be doing more of? Yeah. I, I'd say, uh, anybody that's listening to this active duty, um, CWA does a great job spreading it through social media, but the active duty guys, um, your platoon commanders, um, whatever you may be on active duty, get your troops, your soldiers, your Marines, your airmen involved in something extracurricular so they're not sitting in the barracks on the weekends. Have them fill out an application to come hunt with us. It's 100% free. Um, it should be close. We've got Air Force presence around here. I know we've got some reserve stations as well. That could um, definitely help, you know, get more people involved in the program, I would say. And just like the colonel said, word of mouth. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, the only thing someone really needs is a hunter ed certificate so then they could go buy a valid hunting license. And we could provide everything else yeah. that they need to get those. If they don't already have their hunter ed, they need to get those two things, um, buy their stamps and a valid license. But we could provide anything else. So if you are someone in that field where it's like, I don't have a hunting license or anything like that, go get it. Very easy to find online. Go through a class, go buy a license, and let us know, and we'll provide the rest and provide an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and, and tell us that, right? I mean, yeah, we a lot of times we'll talk. I, I mean, I get, I know Mike gets plenty of phone calls a week. As does Jeff. I, I my phone's still always ringing. Um, 
and and I try to pull that out of them. I mean, it's the first time, you know. Oh, I just got stationed here. I don't know anything about hunting in California. All right, let me help you, yeah. because you know Jeff has lived here his whole life. Mike has been here for a long time. I've lived here for a long time. We've sorted through the processes of bringing people in. But the other aspect of of growing the program because it it feels like we we are growing it and we're continuing to grow it is allowing us a little bit of an opportunity to build the support for the program um, so that we can continue on as volunteers and build our volunteer network. And I think we're doing a good job with that. Uh, so I, I don't think a thousand duck hunters a year through our program is, is unrealistic by any means. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of to end and round out the podcast, I do have six trivia questions for you fellow duck hunters out there. You ready? Here, born. <laughs> they should be relatively easy, but if it's not, it's it's okay. I'm learning just as well. Um, the first one: What is a group of ducks called? Flock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're supposed to answer that. That's one on the board <laughs> for Smith, oh, fellas. Because I, I, I hit my button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 ding. ding. <laughs> Two, which duck species is known for its long, thin, pointed tail feathers? Pintail. Sprig. Pintail. Yeah, pintail. Ding, 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 ding. That's two. <laughs> Dude, that was, oh, that was a sprig, I, not pintail. I got in there first. No, no. Uh, okay, this one's a little harder. Which mallard. species of duck <laughs> has a blue bill and feeds on small crustaceans? Ruddy. Spoony. No. Blue bill. Scott. Says the northern shoveler. What? Bluebill. Bluebill. Dylan. Not a bluebill. I researched it. Black. Look at that sucker. Hey, it's a bluebill. I researched it. The northern shoveler. That's not a bluebill. I don't know. We'll throw that one in the trash. All right. That one was my Throw that one in the trash. Give that one to Kellogg. Because I got it right? There you go. Yeah. You got that one. No way. We know you're at Waterfowl ID, Peters. Yeah, he is. Break out your book. I know you got it in your blind bag. You got the little masters in there. Like, what is this? Leave so, that call in there too. The next one is what is the term for a group of geese? Gaggle. Gaggle. Yep. Is he got that one. Gaggle. Gag- gaggle of geese. A gaggle. gaggle of geese. Wow. A gaggle. Could have been a flock. They're gaggling over there. <laughs> Which duck species is known for its whistling sound? Widgeon. Teal. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a bunch. Yeah. There's a bunch. Widgeon, though. Widgeon. Yeah. That's the one I had down. Yeah. Right Widgeons, sprig, ring teal. ding. Which species of duck is known for its distinctive flattened bill? Uh, maybe a camas back, but it's more of an arch and ruddy. I have bill? the shoveler again. Flat. Oh, that's a spoonie, yeah. So or is that the same? Flat? The northern shoveler, that's a spoonie? A spoonie, yeah. Yeah. Okay. A spoonie. Yeah. I think it's not flat. Look, I just read the questions. <sighs> Kellogg, you tell me if they're wrong. Usually. Oh, come on, sir. We really want to be the truth tellers today. <laughs> so the last one I have is which species of duck is known for its habit of nesting in tree cavities? Woodies. Wood ducks Wood duck. and yep. Yep. mergansers. Mergansers. Wood duck. I added one, so I won. There you That's, go. There's no yeah. extra credit, man. Yeah. <laughs> Both cavity nesters. <laughs> Baloney. Winner. <laughs> <clears throat> Which duck has its plumage in the springtime? Sprig. No. The male. Peters. <laughs> the drake. The ruddy. 
Is it already? Oh. Yeah. Or it's all nice and plumed out in the spring. Got the nice blue bill and chestnut feathers. I have one Delightful. last one. It's kind of a fun one outside of our quiz. Hit it. Which Sesame Street character sang a song to his rubber ducky? Elmo. Cookie. No, who's the guy that texts the bath all the time? Who's the green guy? You almost Kel, have it. Uh, Kermit? Cookie Monster? Kel, Kermit, Kermit. Kermit. Kermit's green. No, it's Try, not. It's it, not. It's not. You Kermit. had it with the bath. Yeah. It's, who's the guy in the bath? Can we get like Coco Melon question or something? <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy in the bath? He's got the big. Sp- Ernie. 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 Big Ernie. <laughs> Bert Ernie. Yeah. Those are the questions I had, though. God, Sesame, <laughs> that's that's throwing it back. It is. Yeah. It just, yeah. it. For Mike still watches up. it and eats crayons, so. Absolutely. <laughs> the snozberry and the strawberry. And the marine, Best man. When you guys flavor. got a day off, you put the num, Sesame num, num, Street num, num. on and, like. Here's a variety it. pack of crayons. Yes, sir. Those slow days in the blind whip, yeah. whip out the old Crayolas. Yeah. He's got the little one, so he doesn't have a choice. He's got to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first duck the colonel ever shot? I don't, uh, think, I don't think he knew what it was, but teal. I'm going to say a mallard. <laughs> it's probably a coot knowing you. <laughs> it was sitting on a log. It was a bluebill. <laughs> on a log, a bluebill, eh? Where was that? At? Yep. Hey, Fox River. Fox River, don't you know? Oh, I don't know don't about you know? that. I well, I'm going to send a picture. Send I'm a picture. It. I will. Um, yeah. Yeah. Picture First didn't happen. Yeah. So we want to say a special thanks to Realtree for sponsoring this podcast. Um, thank you guys so much, and please support Realtree. My name is Carson. Thanks for watching the Save It for the Blind podcast here at the CWA Roseville headquarters. You can find this podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.